Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for standing up for the truth with us. We are uh, just blessed to have another day of life, health, strength, and uh, let's open up and ask God for help. And uh, he needs to direct this hour because we're going to talk about a very important issue that's affecting not only our country and our culture, but the church as well. Um, Lord God, thank you for this day that you've made. We recognize your sovereignty. We acknowledge your faithfulness, O God, and your mercies are new today and every morning. We thank you for uh, providing for us. We thank you for your protection over our lives, spirit, soul, and body. We pray in Jesus' name. One day at a time, Lord, teach us to number our days that we might gain hearts of wisdom. And we need wisdom to know how to understand the times and also to respond according to the Bible, respond how Christians should uh, respond to things going on around us in our our culture, our communities, and even on social media and, and being patient with others and Lord, just help us, help us, Lord, to uh, be salt and light like we are called to be. And we lift up this day to you, and we pray that you would guide us in this conversation, that you would uh, speak to our hearts and also help others be informed and encouraged and equipped, God. Uh, May your saints be equipped that we might do the ministry that you've called us to do in our individual lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, very important topic today that's not only affecting uh, America but specifically in our churches. Um, You know, we fall for things because we are not, um, well, we're not grounded on sound doctrine as we should be. And when we lose that part of that biblical worldview, we start opening up the doors for all kinds of things. Social justice is a big one. But we're talking about critical race theory today. And I want to welcome back to our podcast, Dr. Corey Miller. He's the president and CEO of Ratio Christi. And he grew up in Utah. He was a seventh generation Mormon. And he came to Christ in 1988. He served on pastoral staff at four churches, has taught nearly 100 college courses in philosophy, theology, rhetoric, comparative religions, and including Indiana University, Purdue, Multnomah University. He's published in various journals and is the author or co-author of several books, including his latest release, which last year when we had him on, we talked about engaging with Mormons, understanding their world, sharing good news. And that came out in 2020. And Corey Miller, thank you so much for uh, taking the time with us on Stand Up For The Truth today. An update on your ministry, Ratio Christi, uh, the book, your speaking, your recent presentations before we dive into today's topic. Uh, Yeah, so Ratio Christi, again, means the reason of Christ. We are a college campus ministry focused intently on apologetics evangelism. We are on about 130-plus universities and seeing people come to Christ and seeing people who are in Christ become more missional, including professors. We try to move professors from being professors who happen to be Christians to Christian professors, i.e. missional professors. Mm. So, uh, you know, we've just passed the 10-year line since we've existed as a 501c3 and have activity around the world, um, in Canada, Pakistan, South Africa, wow. UK, Philippines, and, and so forth. So God is really doing a lot of things through there. And then, yes, I've got my personal focus that harkens back to my history coming <laughs> out of Mormonism as well. And, and that book seems to be doing some, some good stuff as well. Awesome. Well, we um, have a very important uh, topic today, critical race theory. We've talked about it for over a year now. It really became more prominent, I guess, uh, during the uh, Black Lives Matter um, protests, which really started in 2013, but kicked into high gear last year in the summer. Um, And what people, what Christians want to do, I think, is be compassionate to others and concerned about what's affecting other people. And so this drive for justice, and whenever they put a word in front of it, like social justice, usually they're after something else. But a lot of well-meaning Christians, um, they kind of jumped on the bandwagon without really researching the Marxism and the globalism behind the Black Lives Matter movement. And I know you've talked about this, I'm sure, before. And I appreciate your truthful posts on Facebook. I'm surprised you haven't been shadow banned or, or censored like you know right. we get from time to time quite often here. Um, but, Corey, uh, 
What would you say to the the average Christian today who might ask, well, shouldn't my pastor be the one to be informed and warn us about critical race theory? What do I need to know about it, or why should I understand what it's about? Yes, that's a complex question. First of all, in fairness to the pastor, they've they've got a lot on their plate, uh, a lot of ideas swarming around, a lot of opposition from our culture, and they are supposed to be kind of a jack of all trades. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, their their mastery is of the Word of God and focused on shepherding people. But in the process, I think you know what was true a hundred years ago is still true today. That the Christian pastorate has, in some respects, excommunicated the life of the mind, the head of Christ, but still continues to focus on the heart and the hands of Christ. And that is to say that we are not focused like we once were on loving God with our mind and being shepherds that are guarding against mm-hmm. false, insidious philosophies that are swirl around, swirling around in our culture. We've just taken for granted the uh, Christian predominance in the ideas in our culture for so many years uh, but now it's here, and if we're not training in our seminaries, or if our pastors are not taking it upon themselves, parents, individuals in the churches and so forth certainly need to be doing that, because it's not happening, and we're sending our generation after generation off to the secular baptismal font, seeing them lose their faith. So, you know, when Paul talks about being aware of false philosophy, that presupposes that we are aware of false philosophy, and on this most insidious one, we are not. Exactly. Awareness. My goodness. And I think, you know, in Ephesians 4, um, how are pastors able to fully equip the saints, um, hopefully from God's Word, sound doctrine, the whole counsel of God, but also with some of these philosophies, worldly philosophies, as Paul says in Colossians 2, 8, to not be taken captive by these things. How are pastors to warn about them if they are not aware of them or informed themselves. So I know pastors have a tough job, and um, our hearts go out to them. We should pray for our pastors, but nonetheless, they need to lead and be able to warn, uh, be watchmen on the wall, so to speak. And I know I'm probably preaching right. to the choir here, Corey. But, so I looked up critical race theory in many places. We've uh, talked about this many times, but over at Got Questions, they, tr- they sum it up like this. Uh, critical race theory is a modern approach to social change developed from the broader critical theory, which developed out of Marxism. And in practice, uh, this is applied to the United States, and there are several assumptions, including, and I'll let you respond to these bullet points, uh, American government, law, culture, and society are inherently and inescapably racist. Can we just stop right there and and address this um, false accusation that our entire society. They call it systemic uh, racism. How do you respond to that? That is um, a difficult issue because the movement is playing with terminology, mm-hmm. redefining things, which is the hallmark of the postmodern sort of worldview. And the difference between a normal, say, race theory and critical race theory, which comes from critical theory, uh, a a version of neo-Marxism, is that it has combined with postmodern elements that see knowledge as a social construction of reality, and we construct that reality via our language. And so we frame new words, new definitions, and we begin to change the... Um, hegemonic narrative, as it were, the power play narrative by the changing of words. And so race, of course, racism used to mean something of a sense of superiority of one race over another, um, um, maybe hostility even uh, toward another race. That's not what it means anymore, or at least that's not the bulk of what the intent of the meaning is now. Now everything is defined in terms of group dynamics, group social dynamics, which is where the term social justice will eventually come in. Mm -hmm. And that is to say that systemic racism can be um, now defined something like this. Any policy or practice that creates or perpetuates racial disparity or inequality. And that's it. So think of any policy or practice 
that creates or perpetuates inequality. Mm-hmm. Racism, you, you've got systemic racism. You could put any policy or practice that creates or perpetuates gender disparity or inequality or economic disparity or inequality or sexual disparity or inequality, national disparity inequality, religious disparity inequality. That's where we're going with this, mm-hmm. uh, David. It's, it's the old classical Marxism was about putting two groups against each other, the haves and the have-nots, the victims and the victimizers, the oppressed and the oppressors yes. in economic terms. Mm-hmm. This new move does it with race, class, sex, gender, ethnicity, nationality. I mean, fat studies, um, you name it. It's across the board. It's, it's about trying to divide people. And inequality means injustice in every category. So it's not that there is a necessary injustice happening. It's that inequality simply means injustice. And so if there is an inequality of outcomes, Mm. there has to be injustice. It's an ethical matter lurking somewhere. And and so this is not saying that there aren't racists out there. If we deny systemic racism or if we question it, um, you know, there are there are some bad, bad hombres out there, you might say. Um, the opposition to interracial marriage among whites is around 15 percent. So, you know, there there are still issues out there. Um, but this doesn't mean that there is this great boogeyman in the sky that's guiding all of this stuff in a systemic way like you might have had during certain eras. Yes. Um, it's simply the fact that there are inequalities, and that means injustice, or does it? Mm-hmm. Um, when you said about 15, 10 plus 5 percent, um, I'm thinking, boy, how can we be inherently or systemically racist as a people or as a nation um, with those kinds of numbers? And I know people don't look at the facts or the numbers. They think, oh, you're tone deaf. If you're going to use facts and numbers and, and surveys on me, you're tone deaf. You don't want to, because they come it from an emotional appeal. They come at it from a very different perspective at times and really programming. A lot of this is brainwashing, which is what we've been seeing over the last year or so, Corey. Uh, But one of the other things it leads to in this um, article that sums us up over at gotquestions.org, it says another um, assumption or these things are applied here is the uh, application of laws and fundamental rights should be different based on the race or class group of individuals involved. And that's like saying, okay, this law applies to you, but it applies to someone else differently, or it doesn't apply to someone else. And then we're getting into a very dangerous place, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is pitting groups against each other. It's disrupting, it's dismantling, it's creating angst. Uh, Critical theory is criticize, criticize, criticize all of the values of Western culture uh, and creating this angst amongst people that eventually it takes on a revolutionary spirit. And that's sort of what we're starting to see right now. And this includes, and this is why some liberals are waking up as well, including atheistic liberals, uh, because it also challenges the laws of Western democracy. Remember, this harkens back to um, neo-Marxism, the collectivist idea. Mm-hmm. They do not like individual rights. And so from you know John Locke's inspiration of the Founding Fathers and so forth, talking about individual rights or natural rights, everything is about the collective. And so liberals who love to talk about rights, uh, individual rights in particular, the individual is not liked or prized in critical theory. This is about group identity, not individual identity. And so don't be surprised if what's being uprooted right now or trying to be dismantled. They're, they're not talking about simply reforming the police, for example, but they're talking about defunding or destroying. That's right. They're talking about reimagining, reimagining all of America, transforming all of America, all of Western civilization. In fact, many university programs are eradicating Western civ programs. They're, they're declining tens of millions of dollars at Yale, for example. Hi-ho, hi-ho, Western civ has got to go. Um, to, to eradicate it out of their system completely, this is a, a 
cultural revolution. It's about the infiltration of education and religious institutions, the non-coercive elements of society, so that eventually there doesn't need to be a shot fired. It's not a violent revolution. Uh, once the non-coercive elements of society are largely taken, then the coercive elements, such as law enforcement, law itself, mm. and government and military, will simply follow suit. Mm. Um, something you posted um, recently on your Facebook, we've talked a lot about Black Lives Matter, the, the global Marxist network that's funded by the left primarily, and whose co-founders are lesbian, they're feminists, and now they own four properties worth $3.2 million. And <laughs> you posted an article, BLM co-founder Patrice Kahn Cullors under fire, for purchasing million-dollar homes in white neighborhoods. There seems to be some hypocrisy there um, <laughs> because, I mean, for what she's, all, she's supposed to be about, what she claims to be about, it seems like, boy, she, capitalism is not that big of an issue for her. But she called capitalism, she once said capitalism is worse than COVID-19. Share your thoughts on how this movement duped or deceived so many people who cannot seem to see through the hypocrisy and the lies and the deception through this that maybe they're blinded. Share your thoughts on how this is really programming a lot of Americans. And that article, by the way, is out by blackenterprise.com. So <laughs> it, it, it's just so the listeners know, it's not a bunch of white um <laughs> You know, cone-headed KKK members going after them. Mm -hmm. And the New York chapter of BLM is looking at an internal investigation of, of her and her people as well. Uh, but, yeah, this is, you know, the promise of Marxism is always, you know, workers of the world unite, we're for the underdog, and when we throw off, you know, when we get our pitchforks and our torches in hand and go get the rich uh uh, bourgeoisie ruling class member of whatever social class we're after, and we get rid of them, we're all going to just share everything in common, and this utopia is going to be great. And when we look at that in practice everywhere where it takes place, you never find Mao Zedong or Lenin or Stalin or Kim Jong-il living in the huts like the rest of their people. Hmm. <laughs> They're always living up at the top of the hill. That's right. And that's, you know, human nature. And Marxism, of course, uh, underestimates the biblical perspective that humans are generally greedy and sinful and selfish. Instead, it thinks they're, you know, basically they can become good molded people. Uh, they're just struggling with inequality, and that makes them bad people. And if we can just spread the wealth in every single category, all will be well. But in terms of the hypocrisy, uh, David, since you brought that up, we like to say, look at that, that's hypocritical. And we think that our intuition should say that's bad. But hypocrisy is not a bad thing for the new left. And I distinguish the left from the new left yes. because the old left still um, embraces, they, they live on borrowed capital of Western values, which I would say come from Christianity. But the new left, the Marxist left, um, they're not about this issue. There are no virtues in the system. They, they talk about the virtue of um, equality. That's like the last thing left. But even that is is gone once they start talking about equity and, and revenge and payback and and things like that. But this issue of hypocrisy, look, the influence that is coming down the pike of this ideology talks about um, um, you know repressive tolerance, and it explicitly says we should not um, grant movements on the right, any wiggle room. And we should always overlook any um, immorality, quote-unquote, of the left. Mm -hmm. The tolerance is, is one way. Right. They believe they are in a righteous crusade. And so they can overlook this. When the media overlooks it or other people overlook it, that's intentional. Yeah. And it's not looked at as hypocrisy is a bad thing, because we're on a righteous crusade for the underdog who have been blasted for how many years, therefore now they need to be up on top for how many years. There's no forgiveness in social justice. Um, there's no reconciliation. The old school racial reconciliation, that's, that's 
that's passe. And it's actually wrong as well. We've infused everything from the 60s with a, a Marxist vaccine, so mm. to speak. <laughs> I like the way you phrased that. We've got to take a break, but when we come back with Dr. Corey Miller, talk a little bit more about the new left and a few modern applications, what we can see from politics in America. Social justice, critical race theory, big topics today, important. We need to know how to respond to these things, especially when they seep into the church. We'll have a whole lot more coming up with Corey Miller on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Dr. Corey Miller, president of Ratio Christi, is our guest today. Remember his latest book came out last year, Engaging With Mormons, Understanding Their World and Sharing the Good News. He is a former uh, Mormon, grew up as a seventh-generation Mormon. But today we're talking about the important issue of critical race theory, how that has affected our country and divided many of us even within the church. Uh, Corey, we need to mention liberation, contemporary critical theory and liberation. There's a quote in your booklet. It's available at ratiochristi.org. It says, The liberation of oppressed groups is the meaning that critical theorists give to the popular term social justice. Working towards a celebration of diversity— implies working for social justice, the elimination of all forms of social oppression, and it does take many forms. Would you like to expound on that and give people an understanding of a little bit of the history of how way before Black Lives Matter took the stage, this was already in our churches in America? Right. So the way that it came through the universities and into culture is one story. The way that it's come through the churches is another yeah, story. good point. So uh, it began in what is called liberation theology in Central and South America. Uh, some rogue Roman Catholic priests who were difficult to control uh, by the Pope at the time <laughs> were standing up for the poor, standing up for the oppressed, and they drew out a hybrid between Marxism and Christianity, where Christianity really is the shell, and Marxism is the uh, the internal uh, kernel hmm. um, in, in the meat of the the viewpoint, and so the you know the crux passage for liberation theology is the Exodus, getting the Pharaoh or the Egyptian bourgeoisie, the ruling class, off the backs of the slave oppressed class, the Israelites. And so, going back to Marx, um, liberation is the goal of what is the problem: socio-economic oppression. And so this came up through Central and South America. It ended up in black theology in America uh, when it switched from, you know, Hispanic to uh, African-American. And in black theology, you had an author named James Cone who wrote extensively on this, and it really is the intermixing of Marxism and Christianity. Exactly. And then um, one of Obama's pastors, Jeremiah Wright, loved to quote James Cone. He was his favorite theologian. And um, Obama himself, in his biography, uh, said that he chose his professors carefully when he went to college. He said, quote, the Marxist professors. So this has been infused throughout, going all the way through the churches up to the highest level of government in the presidential administration on the one end. And, you know, it, 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 it captures the church because... Christians, above all people, have this view of humans as sinful. We believe in the total depravity of men and original sin. And so when someone says, are you a sinner, we're the first to say yes. And um, God's for the uh, oppressed. Have you ever uh, oppressed anyone? Yes. So you're an oppressor. And God's for the heart of the oppressed. And, and easily we're just taken by this new viewpoint that then uh, co-ops our words like justice and compassion, and somehow creates this hybrid social justice, which has, uh, even if it originated with a Catholic priest, um, it has since evolved to be this Marxist understanding of what justice is. In most cases, it's not even just. So in social justice categories... We talk about reproductive justice, <laughs> i.e. abortion, climate justice, 
um, research justice. You can't even use uh, white authors anymore. You have to use all and only black authors or women authors or gay authors or whatever. LGBT justice, um, economic justice, i.e. socialism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So in most cases, it means rob from the poor and, or rob from the rich and give to the poor. That is, rob from those who are uh, privileged and in positions of power, whatever it is, race, class, sex, gender, and redistribute that power by coercion if necessary, but beginning with guilt initially. So you said something very important, and I want our, our listeners to understand why you mentioned these, you can only use certain researchers or authors. Um, we hear this term thrown around, the, the patriarchy. It seems like the white Christian male is the biggest threat in, on all these levels, because you said only black or minority or female researchers or authors are recognized. So what does, how does this play into it, where ma- the male or white male or Christian white male became s- seemingly the en- enemy of all this? Again, it's trying to find and locate an enemy and rally the troops with their pitchforks and torches around them. And the enemy is always the one who has more than the the one who has not. And so we call them, you know, the 99% or the 1% or let's just be frank, 51% versus 49%. So (laughs) in, in more recent literature, you're starting to see not just white privilege, but brown privilege. Mm -hmm. Uh So there's infighting taking place, um, even amongst race. Now we can't divorce any of these categories, race, class, sex, gender from one another. For example, Ibram Kendi, the new priest, of the movement in his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. He says you can't be, it's, it's not either uh, I'm racist or non-racist. You can't be non-racist. It's either I'm racist or anti-racist. So who wants to sign up and be a racist? <laughs> Nobody. It's worse to be called a rapist today almost, or a racist than a rapist today. And so everyone jumps on the bandwagon of anti-racism, and then you find out what it is, and he tells you very clearly what it is. You cannot be an anti-racist without being an anti-capitalist. You cannot be an anti-racist without being um, anti-phobic, homophobic, or transphobic. Um, And so it is the intersection of all these disparate disparate categories of race, class, sex, gender, etc., sexuality, and they all come together. So you can actually be an oppressor as a black person if you're a black male when standing in social relation to a black female who has two points of oppression against her. <laughs> wow. Um, and if you're a black lesbian female, like the founder of Black Lives Matter, you're, you're like the perfect unicorn. Exactly. Right? I mean, <laughs> exactly. You've got it all. And so we've, we've made victimization uh, and the the manipulation that that carries along with it to the the passions of people we we get their sympathy riled up by showing a victim by telling a story not using logic not using data not using reason in fact they say debate is hate now too and i was almost kicked off a university for being called along with my atheist liberal atheist philosophy uh ally Peter Bogosian, we were called logical fascists. Wow. My goodness. <laughs> I mean, my jaw just dropped when you said debate is hate. I mean, we've already seen this intolerance to opposing views when people simply want to disagree and talk about both sides of an issue or argument, but th- it debate is hate. This is the place it's come to in America, in our intolerance of new ideas or, or critical thinking. Um, it's really astounding to a lot of us, Corey, but I, I want to go to the introduction to um, a publication that you guys have available at Rosho Christie. It's called Engaging Critical Theory and the Social Justice Movement. What you were just sharing made me just go back, right back to this introduction. It says this activist organization uh, several years ago um, stated that the enemy is now and always has been the four threats of white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism, and militarism. And it says these forces, not Islam, create terrorism. These forces, not queerness, create homophobia. And it goes on. Um, so, 
Corey, they've narrowed it down to these four threats. Um, This is really surprising to a lot of us who really didn't see this coming. So um, what what other things can you share about these? How do we respond when someone says these are all issues, these are enemies, white supremacy, patriarchy, meaning males in leadership roles, um, capitalism? That's our whole system in America, which the globalists want to destroy. Um, what are your thoughts on these? Right. A lot of people think that if you if you bring someone like Marx into it, you're a conspiracy theorist. If you say critical theory, well, that sounds so academic to make the average academic eyes glaze over. If you say social justice, that sometimes means, well, you just hate the poor or hate gays or, or blacks or something like that. Um, that's not it at all. This viewpoint has co-opted language and manipulated through the sentiments, through the emotions, by telling stories, um, victimization stories, um, anecdotal stories, so that the average person who is not a thinker but a feeler jumps right on the bandwagon. And those people who desire to keep their um, privileged status as university presidents or um, corporate executives, oh, they're just quick to virtue signal and say, you know, I, I love the poor, I love the gays, I love the oppressed. Show me the oppressed class. Show me the baby. I want to kiss the baby. It's election time for the corporate executive or the university president, right? Mm. So they're quick to virtue signal. Um, but virtue signaling is not the same as virtue. Virtue signaling is a form of cowardice. Yes. The more we give into it, it's like giving into hostage takers or sex traffickers or pirates. The more you do that, it emboldens them and, and makes that thing start to snowball. We have to have not virtue signaling cowardice. We have to have virtue and courage to stand up against this stuff. Because what it really comes down to is their view of reality, of human relations, again, is that we are pitting groups against each other. It's not about unity. It's not about diversity. It's about pitting groups against each other for a revolutionary spirit. Anytime there's inequality, that means there's injustice. So the goal, then, ethically, is social justice, to rectify the inequality. And those who can know what's happening aren't those who just are smart or critical thinkers, reflective thinkers, and by the way, critical thinking is not the same as critical theory. That's right. Um, But those who have been in the oppressed class, they have special knowledge. Vody Bauckham calls it uh, ethnic Gnosticism, but I would call it minoritized Gnosticism because it has to go over all the categories. And so they have special knowledge. The rest of us who are in the oppressed class, and if you have multiple levels of oppression, like an, an old, white, male, heterosexual, capitalist, American, <laughs> nationalist, oh, geez, you are Adolf Hitler. You're, the, you're a fascist, right? Jeez. That's where it's coming from. Inequality is a mathematical notion. We have made it a moral notion, and in no list of the virtues from Aristotle up to today's date does equality ever make it into the list of virtues. Justice does, but equality and justice are not the same. Even Mm. God is not fair. We have parables that that reveal this as well. Um, God is just. Mm. Fairness is something else. That's right. Is it accurate to say, is it fair to say that social justice and critical race theory, uh, these are another gospel? Yes, 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 yes. Again, you can't even understand grace until you understand justice properly, Mm. right? Yes. The wages of sin is death, Mm. but the gift of God is eternal life. The only sin in social justice or critical theory or cultural Marxist circles is oppression. And the sinner is the oppressor. And the time for um, forgiveness or having your sin absolved is never. Hmm. Corey, um, did you ever think, now I want to just shift over to politics just for a minute, because we've only got four minutes left or so, three or four minutes, did you ever think five or ten years ago—let well, me ask you this. Would it have been possible, because I don't think it would have been, for 
a um, an apostate reverend or heretic such as Raphael Warnock in Georgia, now a senator, would it have been possible five or ten years ago for someone like that who basically he might be one to say Jesus is a socialist? Um, the early church was a socialist church. This is an, this is another gospel. Would it have been possible for someone like that to even be elected, let alone in a state like Georgia, ten years ago? Ten years ago, yes. Um, his name is Barack Obama. Yeah, good point. <laughs> <laughs> this stuff has been around um, in the universities. I mean, it, it just a, a real brief history. It, it uh, had to get out of Germany because the founders were Jewish and they were globalist socialists, Marxists, and they didn't get along with the fascists who were nationalists. Mm-hmm. They left, went to the U.S., Columbia University, Brandeis, UCLA, and so forth, began to put their literature out just at the time in the 1960s for the student protests and revolutions. Those students, many of them picked it up, went into academia. By the time they reached their apex in the 90s, that's when things started to change and started to become explosive in the universities. Mm -hmm. In the last five years, it has just radically exploded to the point where a Georgetown law professor, and I posted on this one as well, recently said there is a Maoist takeover of academia. Now, now she is a liberal, feminist, leftist, Palestinian, Muslim law professor there, and she's recognizing it. (laughs) Wow. Well, this is another thing, though, going back to the election of Barack Obama, I think a lot of people just weren't informed and didn't do their due diligence. They did not research because some of us who did knew about his background, his history, his Mm -hmm. beliefs, his worldview, and as a Christian— um, I was concerned, but it didn't just didn't seem like people knew where this guy came from. So sh- shame on us. But when we elected him twice, I thought, OK, now this is seems to be what America is wanting, the direction we're headed. Um, yep. uh, Corey, can p- people connect with you on uh, Facebook and also uh, Rosio Christie? What's the best way to get a hold of you? Sure. I've I've got a narrow opening for Facebook friends now, (laughs) given their limitations. Uh, They can do so for a little while, I think. Uh, But uh, ratiochristi.org, again, our booklet on this, or any booklets, uh, which are all written by fine scholars, and they're all very concise, uh, 9,000 words, 30 pages, ratiochristi.org, go to our publication site. All you have to do is type in an email, and you'll gain access to our booklets. We should have them coming out on women, on LGBT, on race, and your classic stuff, the problem of evil, the problem of science, is the Bible reliable, all of that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, we didn't even talk much apologetics today, and that's what Ratio Christie really specializes in. But, Corey, thank you for your time. I know you're very busy, and we appreciate your voice of truth in this chaotic culture. God bless you, brother. You as well, David. All right, when we come, when we come back, we're going to be talking about another article where Snopes defended the Marxist Black Lives Matter leaders' home buying real estate spree, millions of dollars. So Snopes is now saying, oh, that's okay. Uh, we're also talking about Senator Tom Scott, Tom uh, Cotton, who is really coming out trying to prepare people about critical race theory. That and a lot more on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Fox News contributor Joe Concha joins us now with more. Joe, I mean, I, I just, you read the whole thing about the New York Post being banned and about Jason Whitlock being banned over this Black Lives Matter uh, co-founder who bought all this property in the Topanga Canyon. And you, you think, wow, there's, this is accurate. This is accurate information. It is it is relevant. And it's really hard for them to bring up, oh, it was Russian disinformation. I mean, it, this is to a, to a different level now, Joe. Are you both having deja vu? Because <laughs> when you said barring a New York Post story yeah. reporting mm-hmm. on X, boy, this feels like October of 2020, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And we saw how that turned out as far as the Hunter Biden laptop story. New York Post had accurate reporting that had no bearance to or resemblance in any way, shape or form to Russian disinformation. But think about what's happened over the last 24 hours. Dana, Trace, Twitter suspends James O'Keefe when he's right in the middle of a week long series of devastating videos to CNN. Because remember, this is an employee of CNN describing how the network has taken an activist role in terms of its coverage of Donald Trump or Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. or COVID from a fear perspective. Then Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all in lockstep, censoring stories about Black Lives Matter from the Daily Mail, from the New York Post, as we mentioned. And then to your point, Trace, 
this story around Black Lives Matter, mm -hmm. we're talking about four homes valued at $3 million. The head of New York City's Black Lives Matter chapter is calling for an investigation. How is that not a story? Black Lives Matter is a powerful entity. They raised more than $90 million just last year. They should not, therefore, be exempt from scrutiny or accountability. But big tech apparently has their back and says, nothing to see here. We're going to censor this. It is chilling, guys. And yes, yeah, so we need to uh, really be aware of the fact that this censorship is taking place. And that was a great cr clip. I appreciate uh, Joe Concha. I don't believe he's a conservative. Maybe he's starting to lean more that way, but at least he's being fair on, on these issues. And we need to be aware um, they are going to silence our voices. They already have, many of us. But when you're talking about the media, when you're talking about a major billion-dollar movement, Black Lives Matter, and what's happening. Uh, like Corey Miller just shared earlier, now hypocrisy seems to be justified because of the cause. And he also made the point, Corey Miller did, that this is about feelings and not about critical thinking. It's about feelings over fact. We want to, of course, come against oppression and injustice, but who defines and how are they defining oppression and injustice. I have another article here, and if you follow Snopes, stop it. Stop going to Snopes. I mean, I've been preaching on this for 10 years. They were started, I believe, I don't remember when, how long ago, by a liberal or progressive husband and wife team, Democrats, who are supposedly fact-checking on political issues and social issues and morale. Come on. Do your research. So this article, it's over at Newsbusters, of course. God bless them. Of course, Snopes defends Marxist Black Lives Matter leaders' expensive home buying spree. So the fact checker, yeah, I put that in quotes, Snopes came rushing to uh, BLM founder uh, Patrice Cullors' rescue after the uh, self-described Marxist faced criticism for going on a million-dollar house buying spree. The liberal activist who has trashed capitalism was called out for buying four homes valuing at $3.2 million in wealthy white neighborhoods. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, and one of them is in a very nice area north of uh, Los Angeles, Topanga Canyon, and it recently sold for a tad more than $1.4 million. And But liberal Snopes instead got upset over rumors that the lesbian activist may have used her organization's donations to purchase homes. And by the way, that's the New York Post story. They broke that story that Joe Concha was talking about being censored. I posted it a week or week and a half ago on all of our Facebook pages, my personal page, my author page, and Stand Up For The Truth, and it was removed. It has been removed, taken down. I, apparently it's off Twitter as well. Why? If it was just a matter of factual information, because you can go on public record that she did purchase the her and her uh, lesbian, her and her uh, wife, her wife, they did purchase these homes. So if it's on public record, what is wrong or unlawful about being a good journalist and putting that information out there and saying, wait a minute, these people are taking money from well-meaning citizens thinking that it's going to help black communities, why, why not put a story like that out there? Well, Snopes defended uh, them, saying that these unproven, baseless allegations, uh, they're not backed up. And so, oh, Lord. Um, it, it, let's see, the initial report, I'm just trying to condense this for you guys because we're running out of time. But reports characterizing the purchase as extravagant do so without noting that the prices for single-family homes in L.A. are considerably higher than in other markets. Well, then go to those other markets where it's more affordable. Don't buy. Uh, do you understand this? Of course. It's like justifying a home. Uh, well, well, come on now. You can't, you can't get something for under $5 million in Beverly Hills. Uh, well, don't, don't buy a home in Beverly Hills then with Black Lives Matter money. Oh, my goodness. Let's move on. Senator Tom Cotton. 
God bless some of you, the Arkansas lawmaker is introducing a bill to protect the military from critical race theory indoctrination. This is another article on this topic that we're seeing explode across the country. So Tom Cotton is introducing legislation to ban critical race theory training in the U.S. military. As Corey Miller said, it's in academia, it's in our culture, it's in in the church. Um, Not surprising, right? But we have to be careful because these are lies. A lot of these are lies based on false assumptions. Now, um, let me before I go on, I don't want to run out of time before every show we've been going through our list of resources, over 150 uh, links and resources at standupforthetruth.com, upper left uh, side of the site. You'll see it. And we went through the R's on Friday, and Corey Miller was just with us. Ratio Christi is linked up in these resources under the R category. Now we're on the S's. just want to get through this before I go to another article. Scott Lively, whom we will have back soon, Cheryl Atkinson, Skywatch TV, Stand to Reason. We um, Hopefully you'll understand why we put Stand Up for the Truth in here because it gets shared by a lot of people. It gets out there, and a lot of people don't know what Stand Up for the Truth is, so they'll see it and they'll click on that site. Um, Steve Dace Show, Steve Quayle, Steve Smotherman, Legacy Church, New Mexico, Stephen Bancars, Reasons for Jesus, and The Stream. So we just went through the S's. We've got about four minutes left. A lot of this has to do with the fact that we have lost our foundation. Um, I think it's Psalm 11.3 that says, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? A lot of people have interpreted that differently, and I don't want to rip it out of context, but you can pretty much take that at face value. Uh, What can the righteous do? If the foundations—let's apply that principle in America— the foundations, they're now trying to destroy our Judeo-Christian biblical foundations on the worldview of God being creator, the laws of nature, and nature's God, and that's what's founded our laws, our government, our systems of government, our society. Now they're trying to destroy that. They're trying to take that down. So a lot of it in the church comes down to the fact we're allowing this because, brand new study, Only 6% of Americans hold to a dominantly biblical worldview. This is Barna, George Barna, Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. Nearly 9 in 10, 9 out of 10 in the U.S., uh, adults hold to a mixture of worldviews. What does that mean? We briefly touched on this last week. Uh, Syncretism. I tried to describe it like if if you understand how a woman would, would... patch a quilt together with all kinds of different fabrics and colors and um, pieces of cloth that's quilting something together. You've seen those old. They're nice and comfy and warm, but they've got all these different designs and colors. It's a, it's a bunch of patches from different places you put together and makes a big quilt. That's kind of how people have a worldview when it comes to religion. It's called syncretism, a mixture of of worldviews, and that's how we're losing it in the American church. We're allowing in, uh, you know, even, I don't want to open up a new can here with three minutes left, yoga. It's Hinduism. It's a Hindu practice. Even the yoga leaders and teachers will say, well, of course it's a spiritual exercise or practice. But if you start doing yoga in the church, and then we, we just put the, the label on, oh, it's Christian yoga now. No, it's not. I mean, you can yeah try to take all the, the Hinduism out of it, but man, go back to the roots of it. So we take a little bit of the year, a little bit of new age there, a little bit of social justice here, uh, a little bit of whatever here new age or whatever it might be, and you bring it into the Christian church. And this is why now 6% of Americans hold to a dominantly biblical worldview. So it's concerning. Um, Yeah, we won't need to get into the details there. I think you know, based on what we've been talking about over the last many years, and especially recently what's happening it's changing. But no, this is not to say we're going to wave the white flag, right? We have a job to do. Our mission, our purpose doesn't change as Christians. What does Philippians 1.6 say? He who began a good work in you will be faithful to 
complete it. God will complete that work. And let me just go back to something. You might want to refer people to Acts 17, 26. You know, in the Bible, it says that, that God created all life and that he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Let me sum that up by saying one blood, one race, the human race, from one man, Adam, right? Um, And we are saved by one of the descendants of David, who was in the line, of course, of Adam. Jesus, the Messiah, came from the line of David. It says he is the root. It came from the root of David. And so Jesus, we are saved by him. Um, So how to sum this up? Please be in the word. Make sure that we are growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we will not be taken captive by worldly philosophies, Colossians 2, 8, and worldly movements that are not Christian but have seeped into the church. So we'll let you know who our guests are the rest of this week when we come back on Stand Up for the Truth. Stand Up for the Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up for the Truth. Tomorrow, brand new guest. And if you remember, we've interviewed Laura Perry several times, former transgender. She works at First Stone Ministries with the director, and his name is Stephen Black. And he's got a brand new book out that we're going to be talking about tomorrow. Um, it's called Freedom Realized. And uh, it's we're going to really have a good conversation tomorrow. It's going to help a lot of people. It's a call to hold the front line of holiness concerning the lasting freedom in Christ. And he is an ex or former homosexual many years back now. And now he's been ministering to people. So finding freedom from homosexuality and living a life free from labels. Stephen Black, our guest tomorrow. And then um, right now we're at least scheduled. I believe we're going to be speaking with Kevin Sorbo. You will hear that segment on Wednesday morning. God willing. <laughs> it's been hard to, to get our schedules together. Um, Thursday, John Leffler, Steel on Steel Radio. It's been a couple years since we've talked to John, and he's got a great radio uh, podcast. Julaine Appling. It's, it seems like way too long since we've had her on. She's our guest on Friday. And uh, Shane Eidelman, pastor from Southern California, who is one of the many voices of truth and reason, along with Jack Hibbs, John MacArthur, uh, Rob McCoy, and others in Southern California. Steve I- uh, Shane Eidelman on Monday. And then Q Drive, our fundraiser. If you want to donate to Stand Up For The Truth, you can go to standupforthetruth.com slash donate. We appreciate uh, your prayers and your support. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter. <laughs>